This is an ABC podcast. So someone comes up to you and says, I want to give you a little boost in your pay each week. Of course you're going to take it. And this is kind of what the government's got planned with its upcoming tax cuts. But it's not as simple as that, because young Australians are going to be the ones to miss out the most. Hey, it's Dave Marchese with you for the Hack Podcast. Later, we're going to break all of this down for you, make it really easy to understand what are these tax cuts, how will they impact you, and can we afford it? First, though. Hack. Shelby Pullen has gone bang. The flag bearer for the 2014 Australian Olympic team is Alex Pullen. Chumpy was one of the best humans going around, admired by so many people. His spirit's going to live on forever. I reckon it was that moment where Chump left this world that I felt my heart, like, break into pieces. On Triple J. Losing a partner is something nobody wants to think about. And when you're in your 20s, it's the last thing on your mind. You're so in love. Things are really exciting. You're having an amazing time getting to know each other. And you're looking forward to a long life together. But that can all change in a second. And it did for Elodie Pullen. Elodie's world stopped when her partner of eight years, Chumpy Pullen, a world champion snowboarder, died two years ago. All of a sudden, she was a widow in her 20s. They'd been trying for a baby. Now she thought that dream was gone too. But Elodie actually had one last chance. She had 36 hours to decide whether or not she'd retrieve Chumpy's sperm to start trying for the baby they'd always wanted. And she's written a book about this whole intense experience dealing with grief. I'm keen to know if you've had a big loss early in life, a parent, a friend, a partner... Was it hard for you to find people who understood what you were going through? Let me know. You can call in 1300 555 You can send a message as well, 0439 Well, Elodie's book is called Heart Strong. It's out now and she's with us to speak about it. Elodie Pullen, thank you so much for joining us on Hack. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Look, I remember the outpouring of grief around the country when Chumpy died. Like, he just seemed like he had so many mates and everyone wanted to pay tribute to him. What kind of a guy was Chumpy? I mean, I didn't even realise until, I guess, he left how much he touched just everyone. And, like, even if it was just through the screen, I think he was definitely kind of that person that when you met him, he left this kind of imprint on you. He like has this energy about him. He makes everyone feel comfortable and welcome. He's just like, my mum would say like, he's like enchanting. He's got this way about him. And it's like, honestly, really hard to put into words, but he was definitely unique. He was very special kind of character. It's only been two years since Chumpy died, and I imagine it's still a really raw thing, but I'm wondering if you can take us back to that time and to that day, to to what happened. So basically, Chumpy was spearfishing. He, it was a beautiful day. We both woke up like normal. He looked out the window and it was just stunning out there. You can kind of see the reef and the waves from our window. And it was just beautiful glassy conditions. He was like, maybe I should go surfing or maybe I should go spearfishing. And we were having friends over that afternoon from Sydney that were coming up to stay because we live on the Gold Coast now. And he was like, oh, I'll catch everyone some fish for dinner. So I'll go spearfishing. And COVID was around and he wasn't travelling for snowboarding. So he was recently getting back into spearfishing, which he'd kind of grown up diving with his family. So... It's definitely second nature to him. However, he was holding his breath so long under the water that he actually just basically blacked out under there and 
he had a weight belt on, so I guess he sunk to the bottom of the ocean and he was found by a surfer. So I guess maybe if he didn't have a weight belt on, he might have floated, but who knows what, what still may have happened. So I, I like to just think he fell asleep under there and it was peaceful and I really think it was. So, I mean, it was a freak accident. It was nothing that you could ever have expected, right? How did you find out about what had happened? Well, I had been out walking that morning and I'd felt this sharp pain in my chest. Weirdly, like, you know, obviously I thought nothing of it. I was just like, oh, that really hurt, like kind of stopped me in my tracks. I looked at my dog and I was like, oh, what's happened to my, like, chest? Like, have I got anxiety or something? Like, I just shrugged it off. And I was like, oh, that was weird. Anyway, I kept going about my day. It completely went away. I didn't even think about it again until my neighbour came over and she goes, I've just read on the Facebook um, Palm Beach Reef diving page, something or other that I'm not on because her husband dives as well. And I saw a chump went diving this morning and I just saw that there's a guy being pulled from the ocean unconscious and I literally just almost, I love my neighbour, but I was busy and I was almost like almost closed the door in her face. I was like, thanks so much, Belle, but it, it definitely wouldn't be chump. He would be the one saving the guy, if anything, and yeah, thanks for letting me know that's really sad kind of thing. And then 10 minutes later it just like hit me that it was chump and... It wasn't until days later that I thought, I reckon it was that moment where Chump left this world that I felt my heart like break into pieces back when I was walking. It kind of like the timing, just literally everything kind of added up and it, it must have been that moment. Do you remember much about those first few hours? Because you write about this in the book, those mm. first few hours, a lot happens that's going to change the path of your life really. Is it all a bit of a blur? Was it hard to get back into those memories to write the book? It's interesting. I still sometimes think I'm in shock. It's just the weirdest thing that the state of shock that I was in and the family was in was crazy and for me it lasted months. I have this like story of what I tell about those days after because I've I've had to tell it and people have asked and I've told it and I've told it and I've told it. So I've created this story in my head but sometimes I'm like I'd love to Obviously, I wouldn't like to go back, but I'd love to like look, you know, as though it was a movie to see what exactly happened. Because if I just like, is what I think happened accurate? Because I was in so much shock, I don't even know. But from what I do remember was being so vacant and out of it and my head was buried in my knees on my back deck and my brother had come up to me at my house. There was lots of people at my house. My brother came up to me and goes, hey, Chloe, one of my bestest friends, my mum and my other friend, Laura, he goes, Chloe, mum and Laura are talking about this sperm retrieval thing. I need to ask you, what, what do you think? And from what I remember, I said was, yes, just go ahead and do whatever. I don't know. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I don't, what is that kind of thing? But yes, the answer is yes. I don't even need to know anything else. Just go. So it wasn't like I'd heard of it before. Obviously, I'd never heard of that. Yeah. I mean, and so many young people would never have heard of that, right? Never. It's honestly bizarre. I don't, it, I'd never heard the words before, but the words kind of speak for themselves. I didn't have to, hey, the way that my brother asked me was quite urgent. I guess realistically though, our family was obviously thinking if we don't get the sperm now, if we don't take this crazy weird decision and run with it, we won't have the option or the opportunity in a year's time or six months time, if I'm ever feeling okay again, to go through with it and maybe bring a piece of him back. So in the middle of all this, decisions are being made, your family's running around trying to organise mm. all of this and you're in the middle of the most intense grief you've ever experienced. And I'm wondering, 
that feeling for you, for someone so young to lose their partner, it's such a unique experience. Like it's very different to someone who's lost a partner who's very old and they've Mm. spent their whole lives together. Exactly. Was it hard to find people who understood what you were going through? Honestly, I think the people around us just knew our relationship and knew that we'd been trying for a baby and that knew that we were going to, going to be together forever. So it wasn't a weird, at the time, like, I mean, for me, it didn't seem like a weird decision, even though the whole world was, everything in my life was just so weird at that point because he'd, he'd gone. But yeah, it didn't feel like we were all rallying around like crazy trying to do anything. I think there was a bit of paperwork to be signed, but I guess my life and our life was just going on this trajectory where we you know, had the house, had the dog, had the the grand plans, like we had our lives in ahead of us. And I've just tried to continue doing what we were going to do. And I know he's not here, but it, now that I've now had Minnie, it seems like it was all supposed to be, obviously he's supposed to be here, but aside from him not being here, it's like everything kind of fell into play in a kind of beautiful way, strangely enough. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with writer, influencer Elodie Pullen about her new book, Heartstrong, the story of losing her partner, Chumpy Pullen, and deciding to have his baby through IVF. We're getting a lot of uh, messages through on the text line right now. Somebody says, crying in the car right now. Another person talking about grief says, I lost my four-year-old sister in a car accident when I was 11. I don't think people knew what to say, so they kept comparing it to losing their grandparents or saying, all things happen for a reason. For me, losing a loved one as a young person, the whole experience felt surreal and disconnected. And Nikita says, my sister lost her fiancé a few months ago. She was 28. She was devastated. She still plans to have his kids. Well, yeah, I want to ask Elodie Pullen more about this. We're talking about this decision to take the sperm retrieval procedure. And people might be thinking, how long do you have to make a decision like that? Elodie, what is the time frame? The time frame is in Queensland and I think it's different in every state. I believe it's 24 hours and I believe the immediate family just has to consent to it. And so was that your decision? It was my decision and his family's decision and they were completely on board. Right. I mean, they knew we were trying for a baby so every month it was like, oh, no, I, I'm not pregnant this month and, you know, we'd all be like, oh, damn it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That they like were very close. And what's the procedure like? I mean, I don't know whether you know much about it, but the probably people wondering how it works. Is it a small, like you know, not really invasive procedure? I don't think it's an overly crazy procedure. However, I don't really know, and yeah, it's it's actually never something I've fully looked into. However, my IVF doctor who did the procedure is beautiful, and since getting Chumpy's sperm. He's now retrieved heaps of other people's sperm who have heard of our story and have, thank God, had the knowledge about sperm retrieval and contacted my doctor, which is beautiful. And when I spoke to my doctor, it's like a quick, quick procedure. So you made the decision, you'd go ahead with the sperm retrieval, it happened. Then what happened then? How much time passed before you decided, I'm going to go through with this, I'm going to undertake IVF, Mm -hmm. I'm going to use chumpy sperm, we're going to have a baby... What was the time frame like there? I waited about six months and then I think I woke up one day and I was like, yeah, I'm I'm really ready. I, I need to try this. So did one round, didn't work, did the second round and that's my little daughter, yeah. Chumpy's daughter. And your daughter's here, which is amazing, right? Coming <laughs> yeah. up to a year old. Yeah. 
In your book, you write, there are people who have moral, ethical or religious issues with using a dead person's sperm to have a child. People have been very vocal on Facebook about it, but I try not to read the comments. How big was the ethical dilemma for you, though? Like, knowing that you were going to bring a baby into the world who would never know their dad, was that a big decision for you or something that you pondered a lot? There wasn't an ethical dilemma for me. I just, I know what Trump would want to do. So, uh, and I couldn't care less what anyone thinks. And everyone around us completely backed what I was doing. And now that it's happened, it's just been so amazing and joyous and meant to be. I'm so sure of what I've done and I'm so proud and happy that I've done it. It's just changed my life. It's changed all of our lives. And he will just be so stoked. And are there a lot of people, other women who've come up to you and said, I've done a similar thing or... yeah. Yes, so many people. Now now that this has happened and now that I've spread awareness on sperm retrieval or spoken out about my story, it's not even that I'm trying to spread awareness, it's that I'm trying to normalise grieving, normalise celebrating like a person that's passed away and not making them the elephant in the room. I've been very open and vocal about my story that so, so many countless widows, I almost get a message a day or I always get messages saying, my friend's partner passed away, we're we're trying to go through the process now, or thank God for your story, I've now got my partner's sperm and I'm going to do IVF. What about Minnie? Like we said, coming up to a year old, how's she going? She's the best. She's such a legend and she's literally Chumpy's twin. Yeah, and that that must be a real experience as well. As she grows, you'd be seeing a lot more of him in her. Yeah, and she's just so like, and it's even in her character as well, weirdly, like she's so observant and just cluey and her eyes are just everywhere and she's she's switched on. She's very switched on for an 11-month-old and she definitely doesn't get that from me. (laughs) (laughs) You speak in the book about the criticism. We talked about that, but you say it's not a thing for you. You just don't engage with it. But I imagine there's probably been a lot of support as well, right? Like certainly Uh in your family, a lot of support. But Minnie's godfather is Fisher, Mm. one of Australia's most loved DJs. Like anyone who follows Fisher knows that Mm. he's going to be making a smile. Like that must be good to have a really big crew around her as she grows up as well. He's the best and Minnie is obsessed with him. They've just got like this thing going on. It's so cute. It's beautiful to watch. I'm so grateful for him. And yeah, the village around us, like my friends and my family, but my friends, they're like my sisters and they always have been, but they've like really stepped up and we just have an awesome crew around us. Like oh, everyone thinks they're co-parenting with me, literally. <laughs> it's really beautiful. And what's your advice to other young people who might be going through either the same situation or just another situation of grief and coming to terms with it. Do you look back on your experience and think, wow, if I could have been told something or could know something then, um, this would be it? Yes. I just think all the, like you, you go through the weirdest feelings and emotions and they're all very valid, but at the time you think, am I a crazy person? Why am I feeling this and that? Like The shock is such a beautiful mechanism in that it just really protects your brain and your soul from... It just kept me going. Like, obviously, it's a bit of an awful feeling at times, but sometimes the shock is better than what's underneath the shock when it wears off. So if you're thinking weird things or you're feeling like, why am I out here at a cafe talking to friends? My partner just died like two weeks ago. This is just, I shouldn't be doing normal things. That's valid. You're allowed to live. You're allowed to smile. Sometimes I feel feel happy again now and it's weird to say and I feel guilty to say it sometimes but then I'd feel guilty if I wasn't happy because I got this beautiful baby to bring up and give her my love and energy. And 
I hated hearing this, but time, it does get better with time. But I hated hearing that at the start because I thought time is going so long and I feel shit and this is sad and this sucks. Like the worst things happened basically. So I hated hearing that because it just felt like time was going forever, but it really does. And the grief will come in waves and the waves get further and further apart they do. But sometimes they're massive and it feels like you'll never get over it, but you will. You know what? It's a powerful read. Heartstrong is out now and you cover so much in the book. Elodie Pullen, thank you so much for sharing your story with us on Hack. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Hack on Triple J. A lot of messages coming through about Elodie's story. Someone says, what an incredible woman you are. I hope your little lady reminds you of Chumpy every day and bless your family for supporting you in this. Somebody else, I lost my dad suddenly at 17. He was there on the Friday, gone on the Saturday. It completely changed my whole world, took me years before I started to pull my life together. And I often couldn't relate to anyone because no one really had endured something similar at that age. Someone else says, a great story. I don't see how this can be more controversial than people choosing to start their families using a sperm donor. Families come to be in all different ways. And a few people messaging in saying, ask Elodie about Noonie, Noonie, which is what Minnie uh, calls Fisher. So a lot of text messages on that as well. Hack. With the federal budget just a couple of weeks away, there's something the Prime Minister wants you to know about the Stage 3 tax cuts. Our position hasn't changed. On Triple J. So the government's got this plan to give you more money back in your pay by cutting taxes. Sounds pretty good, right? Well, the thing about these tax cuts is they're going to mostly benefit richer Australians. And it's the biggest political sticking point at the moment. You'll be hearing more and more about it before the big federal budget later this month. And look, let's not beat around the bush. Tax can be complicated and very boring. And at the end of it, we just want to know if we're going to have a bit more money in our bank accounts at the end of the month. I'll be able to put some of your questions to an economist in a minute, but first, here's Shalila Madora to break the plan down a little bit. Remember 2019, a pre-pandemic, pre-war in Ukraine paradise, when things were looking up and life was uncomplicated. Well, back then, the government of the time made this promise. Mr Speaker, taxes will always be lower under the coalition. In case you've let that voice slip from your mind, it's the former treasurer, Josh Frydenberg. On budget night 2019, he announced a massive change to Australia's tax system. The second change I announced tonight delivers long-term structural reform by lowering the 32.5 cent tax rate to 30% from the 1st of July 2024. It was the third tax cut that the coalition announced, so it's often called the Stage 3 tax cut. The first two were for low and middle income earners and they've been and gone. In a nutshell, Stage 3 is all about removing the 37% tax bracket and lowering the 32.5 cent rate to 30%. I know, I know, there are a lot of numbers to deal with already. To explain what it all means, here's tax nerd for the SMH and the age, Shane Wright. For every dollar that you earn, you pay a certain amount of tax. And as you earn more, the government takes out a little bit more. It's called a progressive tax rate, and Australia has had one since we became a country in 1901. Stage three would see everyone earning between 45 grand and 200 grand pay the same proportion of tax, 30%. 
If I'm earning over $120,000, I'll be paying less tax once you get rid of that 37% threshold. It's not just high-income earners who'll get cash back in their bank accounts. For someone earning fifty or 60000 that's worth maybe four, or $500 a year. But as Shane explains, under these changes, people earning over one hundred and eighty k are getting the most back. People earning over that will get a tax cut of about $9,100. The coalition, who used to be in government, their argument was that the more you give people back, the harder they're going to work. Shane's not so convinced. It truly is bollocks, that argument. If you're earning more than $200,000, giving you a tax cut does not encourage you to work harder. There is no research showing this. And the argument for why these tax cuts are happening in the first place is significant. Because it's going to cost the government a ton of money. The whole package is worth just a lazy $243 billion over 10 years. The cost of the tax cuts is a really big deal now because we're in a totally different economic situation than those glory days of 2019. So the pressure is on Labor to dump the changes. But here's the thing, Labor supported the tax cuts back in 2019 and Anthony Albanese was asked heaps of times during the election if he was planning on keeping them. And we said clearly and explicitly we would keep those legislated tax cuts. When I say something, I deliver it. But last week, Treasurer Jim Chalmers appeared to be rethinking it. We do need to ensure uh, that spending in the budget, particularly in these uncertain global times, is geared towards what's affordable and sustainable and responsible and sufficiently targeted. So all week it's been a question of will they, won't they? The coalition says dropping the tax cuts would be a broken election promise. The fact is that this is not an issue now about tax cuts, it's about whether you can trust Anthony Albanese and the Labor Party. Prime Minister Albanese shot that down yesterday. Our position has not changed. Our position has not changed. So this has become a huge political problem for Labor. If it keeps the tax cuts, it locks in billions of dollars of lost revenue at a time when our economy is pretty fragile. But if it drops them, then it breaks an election promise and pisses people off. Conundrum. We need to talk about how much we want to spend on health, education, aged care, childcare, NDIS, because unless you're raising taxation, you won't be able to spend more in those areas. Hack on Triple Jack. Shalala Maduro with that breakdown. And I'm keen to hear what you think of these tax cuts. Like, do you think the government should can the idea because of the cost? It's going to cost hundreds of billions of dollars over the next decade. Or maybe you're just happy to get any extra cash back. Send me a message, 0439 757 We've already got some messages coming through. Someone says, you might hear tax cut and think, oh, yay, I'm getting money back. No, when I hear tax cut, I think, oh, yay, more cuts to health and education so they can fund corporate tax cuts again for their mates in suits. Another person says, we have a GST. Why tax us more? That person ready to get rid of a whole bunch of taxes altogether. Well, let's ask an expert. Eliza Littleton is an economist at the Australia Institute. Eliza, welcome back to Hack. Thanks so much for having me. Now, you guys have been crunching the numbers on this, the Stage 3 tax cuts. Let's get straight to the point. Can Australia afford to bring in these tax cuts? Absolutely not. Yeah, Uh, basically... As your, your package suggested, uh, these tax cuts are going to cost $240 billion to the budget over the next 10 years, which is a huge amount of money. Uh, and to put it into context, in the first year alone, they will cost uh, $17 billion, which is 
billions of dollars more than we spend on Job Seeker, which is a policy that the government, uh, you know, kind of always likes to complain about the cost of. Mm. We absolutely cannot afford this um, now because we need revenue. Uh, you know, the pandemic showed us how under, you know, resourced our public services are. Um, you know, we have significant debt uh, and we're facing a potential recession. So it's really not the time to the reduce the amount of um, revenue that the government can collect and spend on bolstering and improving our public services. We've got some messages coming through different opinions. Someone says, I'd rather be able to trust them to look after the economy. They can keep my 500 bucks and put it towards mental health. Another person says the government should keep the promise, bring on stage three. High and middle income earners are going to get the most benefit out of these tax cuts, right, Eliza? But who is a middle income earner? Because we hear that term all of the time. What does the average Australian earn? Yeah, so uh, just to your first point, um, you're absolutely right. The benefits are unfairly distributed among Australian taxpayers. So most of the benefits accrue to high income earners who are overwhelmingly older men. So, and and just to put this into context, it's 50% of the benefits of the stage three income tax cuts go to the top 10%. So we're not even really talking about middle income earners here. We're talking about high income earners. 10% collect 50% of the benefits. It's a hunt around uh, 1.5 million Australians. Um, these are people earning over a $180,000 a year. So these are high income earners. Um, in terms of middle income earners, uh, sometimes it's, you know, we can look at the average income, but actually sometimes it's more useful to look at the medium income. So that's the middle income because averages get pulled up yeah. and pulled down by outliers on either side. So, and and the median income is around about $62,000 a year. So putting this into context um, of the stage three tax cuts and who's going to benefit... We know that people earning $45,000 or less a year will get nothing from the stage three income tax cuts. So if we're thinking that the medium income is around 62000 you know, that's not a lot of middle income earners that are going to benefit. Um, and we do know that most of the benefits accrue to high income earners. And what about young Australians specifically, like people under the age of 25? There'd be a whole bunch of people who aren't even earning the minimum wage. And so they're not going to see any benefit from this. But what about in general people under the age of 25? Yeah, so, you know, young people definitely have cause to be frustrated and angry about these stage three income tax cuts. Um, they're going to benefit the least. So we have some new research out today that says... Uh, that shows that Gen, Gen Z, so people under the age of 25, will only receive 2.8% of the benefit of the tax cuts. So they make up 12.7% of taxpayers, um, but only get 2.8% of the benefits. That's $2.80 in every $100 of tax cut that's handed out to people. So really, no matter the way that you dissect it, these tax cuts, um, whether by their age, gender or income, they disproportionately go to those who need them the least. You're listening to Hack. I'm talking to Eliza Littleton, an economist at the Australia Institute, about these stage three tax cuts. You might have heard a bit about them. There's all this debate about whether the government's going to include them in their budget or not. Messages coming through. Someone says lower taxes means people can spend more 
more and to invest their own money into the community. Someone else says, I'm in the top bracket, but these tax cuts mean less spending on healthcare, education, etc. The top bracket definitely does not need these cuts. Eliza, I want to ask you about something else because people would have heard a bit maybe about what's happening in the UK. Like a few uh, days, uh, a week ago, basically, we covered this economic crisis in the UK and we heard the government there brought in tax cuts and it sent the economy into turmoil. There have been similar warnings that this could happen in Australia. Could it happen here? Um, I mean, there are definitely some parallels to draw with the UK uh, case. You know, it's a bit of a crystal ball for us, I suppose. Um, but, you know, not direct uh, parallels, not direct comparisons. Um, but what we do know is that basically the UK in their mini budget were introducing tax cuts that benefited, disproportionately benefited high income earners. So similarity there. Um, we saw that uh, investor in uh, confidence plummeted. We saw the pound uh, drop in value. Um, and yeah, basically, uh, we have a very similar type of tax cuts uh, here, but they're not going to come into effect until 2024. So we still have time um, and the government still has time to reconsider uh, whether these are sound economic policy or not. Right. Well, we're definitely going to be hearing a lot more about this, especially heading up to the federal budget, which is coming up at the end of this month. And something tells me, Eliza, we'll probably be speaking to you a little bit more around that time. Eliza Littleton from the Australia Institute, thank you very much for joining us on Hack. Thanks so much. We've got some more messages coming through. Someone says, if it means high-income earners pay less tax overall, the government has to fill the gap somehow, and they usually do that by screwing over low- and middle-income earners in one way or another. Another person says, 180 k in a single-income family paying a mortgage in Melbourne isn't rich. I wish it was. And another person says, why don't they keep the tax cut for individuals and increase the tax on corporations? They're the biggest thieves anyway. Look, a lot of ideas coming through on tax policy. I didn't expect it to be so popular, but you want to talk about tax. Hack on Triple J. Big thanks again to all of our guests and everyone who contributed to the podcast. So many messages, thoughts that have come through on the tax policy and also Elodie Pullen's story. A lot of reaction to that one as well. That is all we've got time for for the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.